One of the things that churches like to do this time of the year is have their children uh, get involved in the presentation of the Christmas story. And according to the way this story is told, and it's told as a true story, there was a church that was in the process of doing a Christmas pageant, the nativity scene and the whole nine yards, using their children. And it was one of those times when the children would do everything, including run the lights and the sound and all of that with a little bit of adult supervision. And as the story goes, there was this one third grade boy who was in charge of running the lights. And through the course of the presentation and the pageant as they were working through, uh, there was this one scene when everybody would be gathered around the manger and in that manger lay the baby Jesus, that they were going to do a total blackout with the exception of one spotlight that would be shining down on the manger and Jesus, symbolizing Jesus as the light of the world. That was such an important part of the service, of the pageant, that the uh, adult supervision of that decided that they should go over that. And so about a dozen times in rehearsal, they, they made sure that the boy running the lights got it all correctly so, because he had to turn off everything except for that one light. And so it came time for the presentation, and as they were in the midst of that, it came up to the moment, and things were going pretty well until all of a sudden, at the moment that all of the lights were to go out, the boy panicked. And instead of turning out all except for one light, he turned off everything. And the church fell into pitch black. And it was quiet. The audience, the congregation was not really sure what was supposed to be going on. The kids didn't know what to do because it hadn't happened like that. And all of a sudden, in the midst of that silence, you heard one other child say to the boy running the lights, Hey, you switched off Jesus. Indicators suggest that American society is in the process of switching off Jesus. We know from surveys and from research and polls that are done that the Christian voice in America is getting more and more faint. People surveyed in our day are given the opportunity often to determine and to clarify what their religion preference is. More and more people check the box that's labeled none. I have no religious preference. American society seems to be in the process of switching off Jesus. And mean kind of phrases like, Jesus is the reason for the season. I know that that's a true statement, and I know that we don't always say it as an argument, But many times it is an argument, and it's a reaction. It's this gut-level reaction to what we see around us where society is switching Jesus off, especially at Christmas time. Why is it that our society seems to be sprinting away from Jesus and the Christmas message? Maybe a good question for us to ask as we step out of the church services of each Sunday and into the real-life world that's out there in business and school and family life, maybe we should continue to ask our questions of ourselves. Why should people care about this baby boy in a manger? So welcome back to Baby Talk. This is our second in our Christmas series where we consider the child in the manger 
but we talk about him in ways that take him out of the manger and help us to see Jesus for who he is in all of his glory. We're in the book of Colossians, and I'll invite you to turn there, Colossians chapter 1. And in Colossians chapter 1, the Apostle Paul uh, adopts something of an early Christian hymn, a teaching device, if you will, for some of those young converts. And he, he unfolds for us and unpacks a little bit for us who this baby Jesus really was. More than just a baby in a manger. He certainly was a baby in the manger. We're not denying that at all. But Paul helps us to, get, to look at it from a, a very advanced, a very mature theological and doctrinal point of reference. This baby in a manger was more than just an ordinary baby. In this passage today, verses 15, the second part of verse 15 through 17, Paul gives three different statements about Jesus. And what I would like to do is to give you three words to remember today. So that as you walk out of here today and you go maybe even down the hallways of our church and you see a nativity scene somewhere, on a table maybe, in someone's front yard perhaps, underneath your Christmas tree. But when you see a nativity scene, what I want is for you to see that baby Jesus for all of who he is. Three words today that I'll give you. And as we go through this, I just want to highlight for you, this passage helps us to recognize that this little baby Jesus was a busy, busy baby. Colossians chapter 1, beginning in verse 15. He is the image of the invisible God. We talked about that last week. So we pick up for today's purposes in the second part of verse 15. He is the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body of the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. I'm going to stop there because we're only going to make our way through verse 17 today anyway. Three words that help us to hold on to deep truths about the identity of Jesus Christ. Here's the first word, authority. This is in the latter part of verse 15. And actually, verse 15 will help set the tone for verse 16. Verse 16 kind of comes back in and describes why Paul makes the statement that he does in the latter part of verse 15. But we need to be careful as we step into this. He is the firstborn of all creation. The reason we need to be careful here is because one of the early heresies of the church was this idea that was promoted by a guy named Arius who was trying to protect God's character a little bit. And so he took this verse and some others and he, he built this heresy that finally in 325 AD, the church had to say, that's heresy. He's a heretic. This doesn't float. But Eris's point was he tried to make Jesus as one who was created. And he pulled it from this passage, but he, he had to abuse the passage in order to get to that particular point. Jesus was not created. The early church settled that for us in, some of, in one of the early church councils. But what we get with this is Paul taps into both a Jewish and a Greco-Roman tradition. You see, back in those days, and we know this from the Old Testament, if we go back and look at some of the way their family life worked and some of their traditions were, that there was this, uh, this point of reference this law, if you will, maybe informal, but certainly a social custom called primogeniture. 
And that is where the firstborn received special privileges. Not only special privileges, but also special status. The firstborn was the one who pulled together into himself by just by being given that by virtue of his birth order. He was given the power and the authority that went with the father, the head of the family. Paul taps into that. We have to be careful how we handle this so that we don't try to make Jesus into some created being. He was, as we find out through this whole passage, he was already there when creation happened, but we will find as we work our way through this that Jesus was, in fact, the one who was responsible for creation. He wasn't a created one. He was the creator, God. Well, that's the next point. We'll get there shortly, but let's make sure that we get this one. With this statement, Paul underscores a fundamental truth. That Jesus, that baby in the manger, represents all of the authority that's wrapped up in the person of God. That sounds great. As a matter of fact, we really like to say that. Jesus, as God in the flesh, carries with him all of the divine authority and all of the, the power that God has, and he is God in the flesh, so therefore all of that certainly goes with that But let's make sure that we uh, wear this the way we need to wear this today. Verse 16 is going to explain a little more about this and give evidence of what Paul is talking about. But let's go back into the manger with that little baby and let's be honest. Now, I have to be careful about this because we're about to have a new baby in our family. Not me and Teresa, but we have a grandbaby. (laughs) Whoo, boy. That scared myself right there. (laughs) <laughs> sorry I, I just had a christmas miracle go through my head and I'm, <laughs> i i gotta regroup here man our son and daughter-in-law are gonna have a baby in a couple of weeks and um so i need to be careful how i say this because we're we're baby sensitive in our family right now But I have to be really honest with you to let you know that, as a rule, babies are not all that impressive to me. Um, Especially, let me, I'll say it this way. If I'm going to be looking in the human condition, the human race, if I'm going to look across all segments of society and the demographics around us, if I'm looking for a human that exemplifies authority, I'm not looking in a crib anywhere. There's no authority inherent in a little baby. Oh, I know that they have a way of running things around the house. They have a way of making life so uncomfortable that we'll do anything and everything just to try to get them to be quiet. But demanding doesn't mean authoritative. So when I'm looking for authority and the exemplification of authority in a person, I'm not going to go looking in a crib somewhere. That pushes me to my brother. I want to tell you a little bit about my brother today. His name is Harvey. I call him Harv because I'm lazy like that. But my brother is two years older than I am. One of these days, you'll have a chance to meet him. And he listens to these sermons, so I'm going to be very nice about it today. But um, my brother has been my hero for most of my life. It's dangerous having heroes, and you need to know that. But uh, there's just been something about my brother most of my life that, that causes him to stand out head and shoulders above the crowd. 
But that wasn't always that way. See, my brother's two years older than I am, speaking of this whole primogenitor thing. Uh, he always believed that he was my boss. You have a brother like that? Or maybe a sister? There's always somebody in our world who intends to be our boss, and my brother was that guy for me. And so I can remember many times as we were growing up, my brother would step into the situation, and because he was there, all of a sudden his voice had to be the loudest. Not so much in volume, but in authority. I didn't like that. I'm not sure I like that today, really, with uh, anybody that comes at us like that, because I'm like you are. We like to be the authority in our own lives. We don't really want somebody else to do it, but we learn to cope in society. So as a kid, my brother would come at me, and he would start telling me, this is what you need to do, or stop doing that, or I'm telling you, and, and we now see, my brother's always been bigger than I am and badder than I am, and so I was smart enough not to take him on and fight with him. Now, I go behind the wall around there and call him names and stuff, but I wasn't going to take him on head on. But neither was I going to just do what he told me to do because he said to do it. I had an authority problem when it came to my brother. But there were those times when my brother would step into the situation and he'd start telling me what to do and I'd fall into that normal response, which was, I'm not doing it, you're not the boss of me, those kind of things. But then he would drop this golden line into the circumstance that would change everything for me. If he ever said to me, Dad told me to tell you to get it done. Now that's different. That's a lot of difference there. I, see, I'm scared to death of my dad even today. You talk about authority in a person. That guy had it. And so when my brother came at me, even though I might reject what he was saying to me, the fact that he said, Dad said, everything changed for me. I want to pull that in. That is a weak example of all that's involved in what Paul says here in verse 15. But it gets us at least into the right way of thinking. This Jesus, the firstborn of all creation, by virtue of who he is, not was, but is, he carries all of the authority that comes with being the firstborn of creation. As we saw last week, he is the image of the invisible God. More than that, he is God in the flesh. And so when Jesus says, here's some information for you to act on, all of the authority that comes with being God comes with that. Let me ask you for a moment to think. Who is it that has authority in your life? Now, all of us have to live under authority. That's the nature of the human condition. We all live under some kind of an authority. Let me talk to you parents for just a little bit. I don't do this very often, but I'm going to take a few minutes today to do it. One of the primary responsibilities of a parent is to teach their children how to handle authority well. Now, that's a mouthful. I mean, it, it takes you more than 20 years to flesh that out in the life of your children. It starts with that little baby scenario that I was talking about before. Babies are demanding. They're selfish to the nth degree. I'm hungry. What do I do? I cry. I scream. And so people respond to that. 
the problem with babies who cry and scream like that because they're selfish is those babies grow up to be young children who cry and scream like that because they're selfish. And the problem with young children who cry and scream like that because they're selfish is that they grow up to be teenagers who are, (laughs) you just see where this goes, right? So you want to know why you have issues with some of the people that you work with? It's because they're still in that mode. Now, I'm really, I want to make sure that we, we get a handle on this. This is the human condition. We're all under the curse of sin. And the curse of sin says, I will be in control. I will be God. It is about me at the end of the day. That's the curse of sin for us. And so if we're ever going to respond to the authority of God in our lives, hear me very carefully now, if we are ever going to respond to the authority of God in our lives, we have to learn how to come under authority. Because ultimately at the end of the whole process is God, Jesus Christ, according to what Paul says here, who embodies all of the divine authority. And he says, well, we'll find this later in Scripture where it says that at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow, every tongue confess that Jesus is Lord. As a parent, our responsibility is to teach our children how to respond well to authority. And if they don't respond to your authority, whether it's because you don't teach them or something else is going on there, then there's another level of authority out there that they're going to have to respond to. Those of you who are educators understand exactly what I'm talking about. You get children in your classrooms who haven't learned how to respond to authority, and it makes your classroom a war zone. And if they don't learn it there, there's another level of authority out there Those of you who are in law enforcement in our church understand fully this because we have to have law enforcement in our world today because some people just refuse to come under authority. And if we don't learn to come under authority, we will struggle in accepting Jesus for who he is because at the end of the day, he is the divine authority of life. By virtue of who he is, he has authority over you and over me. That's verse 15b. Here's another word for you. Not authority, but wisdom. This comes out of verse 16, and I've already said that verse 16 is an amplification, if you will. It's, it's the evidence for why Paul says what he does in verse 15. So let me go ahead and read it again, but the word is wisdom. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. Let me just say that I don't have nearly enough time today to unpack that one verse in all the ways that we could. This, this is dense theology that Paul's giving us here. So let me see if I can just pull a, a little bit off of the top, enough for us to recognize the wisdom that is inherent in who Jesus Christ is Paul identifies him as the agent of creation. This fits fits, uh, what John says, chapter 1. You don't really have time to turn there. I'll read it for you. You can go back. In John chapter 1, verses 1 through 3, we find the same concept as it's laid out. In the beginning was the Word, John writes. And the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and He was in the beginning with God. John's talking about Jesus. And here's verse 3. And all things were made through Him, And without him was not anything made that was made. John and now Paul come in with the same basic 
theological teaching point for us, and that is that Jesus is the agent of creation. And Paul gets at this in an interesting way. It's it's really an elaborate construction that Paul puts together here in verse 16. He uses, first of all, a rhetorical device called a merism. It's where you state something from either side as a way of emphasizing the entire part of it. So Paul says that all things were created by him, and here's the merism, in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible. And if you put those together, essentially what you get is everything. Paul begins with a statement that is written in such a way that it would have jumped off the page or out into the hearing of those people as it was being read. This Jesus, the creator of all things, is in fact the creator of all things. He also taps into Jewish tradition. He gives those four different statements of thrones and dominions and rulers and authorities. And he taps into a little bit of Jewish tradition here because those words are almost code words to refer to spiritual authorities and spiritual beings. So Jesus is creator of all things, invisible, visible, heaven, earth, even as it extends into the spiritual realm. Those who are elevated in authority, Jesus is still the creator of those. Then he ties it all up rather neatly by saying all things were created through him and for him. In other words, Jesus not only is the agent of creation, he also is the focus of creation. Let me put it to you this way. Now, I don't have any personal experience in this, and I'm grateful that I don't. But I'm told, in law enforcement especially, that one of the ways that we zero in on who might well have been at the scene of a crime is by looking for DNA evidence. Used to be thumbprints, but we're progressed now, I think. Paul is saying with this, the way he words it, that Jesus' DNA is all over creation. You can't look into one corner of creation without seeing evidence of Jesus Christ there. It's a great statement. I'm going to invite you to take a little time over the next couple of weeks as we go through the Christmas season. I want you to step back from all of the hectic nature of everything that's going on. I'd like for you to just look out at the systems of life and find the fingerprint of Jesus Christ in creation. Let me tell you why I want you to do that. And this is where the wisdom part comes in. I, I don't have time to develop this part of it, but the reality is that Paul dips way back into the Old Testament and the personification of wisdom that we find there in the Old Testament, and he pulls it in here, and he uses it in this frame reference of creation. So let me just do it this way. Think for a minute about all that it took, the wisdom required to design the systems of our world the way they are designed. And I'm told, and I've lived through the space age during my lifetime enough to remember that uh, simply, you know, the stuff that the space shuttle became at the tail end of that part of our history and, and the space race stuff uh, became commonplace for us. Sure, they're going to 
blast off from Florida and they're going to go through orbit and they're going to go to the space station and they're going to do all this stuff and then they're going to back. But you, some of us are old enough to remember when they first started doing that, there were real questions about whether or not they could get those people back. And mathematicians figured out the specific nature of all that was required to get somebody in a space capsule from Earth to space and then back again. But they did that because the, the universe as we know it, and especially our little piece of it, is so precise and so exact that they could figure out how to do that and be consistent in the way that worked. That's all amazing to me. I'm not a mathematician. I can do simple addition. I can balance a checkbook, but beyond that, you don't want me doing those kind of things. But here's what I know. Somebody, in this case, it had to be Jesus, designed the system that allowed our scientists to figure out how to do that. And it is like clockwork. We can figure out backwards when a calendar event happened. Even though none of us lived during those days, we can forecast forward when a comet's going to pass by again because it is so exact. And Paul would remind us that Jesus is the one who spoke the words, the worlds, into order. This has been a busy baby indeed. And when you look into the face of a baby in a nativity scene, I want you to think there's wisdom there, the wisdom that wrapped all of creation up. And we have it the way we have it. Nobody provides wisdom for your life like Jesus does. I was pastor of a church, followed a pastor who was a computer guy. And he was such a computer guy, and this was a, a number of years ago now, that uh, he wrote all of the programs that the church used, computer programs, to keep up with membership and finances and all that kind of stuff. Used, for those of you who are computer people, used DBase 3 to write all of this stuff. And so when I became pastor, uh, I was on staff before I became senior pastor there. And so we knew, we, we had the designer of the software who officed with us. And so if I, as an as assistant pastor in that church, if I needed a report based on membership trends or anything like that, I could just go to his office and say, hey, I need this, and he would design the program in such a way so that he could give me the report that I needed. And usually it took like about an hour or so to get that. But then came the day that he retired and left. And all of a sudden, I was the senior pastor there, and I didn't know how to work with DBase 3. I didn't know how to overcome all of the stuff, uh, the problems that we had with, when the program started getting older. I didn't know what to do with all that stuff. And I didn't have the guy who designed it in an office with me where I could just go to him and say, hey, what do I do in this situation? So we went to something else, and it didn't work very well. Doesn't it make sense when the designer of life is officed with you that you take your need for wisdom to him on a regular basis? How do I make this life work? And Jesus is the one who designed life. Wisdom. Finally, verse 17, I'm about out of time, so... We finish with this, and he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. Here's the word now. We've used these words, authority, 
and wisdom. And now we get the word power. Christ is supreme in all things. And in him, all things hold together. Let me put that in shorthand for us today. Without Jesus, life falls apart. We don't have to look very far in our day to see that. All we really have to do is watch a little bit of the evening news, read one or two news uh, articles. The world around us. Remember, Remember how I started. Somebody switched off Jesus. And our society is in the process of switching off Jesus on a grand scale. It should not surprise us that society is falling apart around us. It should not surprise us because Jesus, in him, all things hold together. And so when we remove him, when we switch him off, if you will, what do we have left? The one who designed life and has the wisdom to give us the resource we need to get through our lives. The one whose authority drives us forward. That same one gives us the power we need to make life work. It's his power, not ours. But if we remove him from the equation, we're sunk. So go back with me to that manger scene, first century. Those shepherds and those wise guys who show up later, Mary and Joseph, gathered around the face, excuse me, the manger of this little baby, and they look into his face. My goodness. What a face. What a busy baby. So as we close today, let me just ask you, what role does this Jesus play in your life? Is he an extra? If this was a motion picture, would he fall under the category of an extra? Is he the star of the show who makes appearances and really shows up when he shows up? You know, the reality is that Jesus, with all of who he is, needs to be the director. He needs to be the one to whom we all approach and bow the knee and say, you are God, I am not. This same Jesus that we find in a manger will grow through the, through the, the stretch of his life of three decades and a little bit more and represent all of who he was and the way that he acted and the way he taught. And in the end, he will be put on a cross and he will die because of his love for you and for me. He doesn't stay a baby. If we understand what Paul's saying here, he was active and he was busy long before that baby ever showed up. And to this day, he still is alive. He still is God in the flesh or at least in heaven, awaiting his return for all of us who trust him. But my concern today is for those of us who don't trust him. Are you tired of going through your life trying to make it work, knowing that you're missing something? Jesus Christ says, come to me, all of you who are weary. I will give you rest. 
He says, I am the way, the truth, the life. No one comes to the Father but me, through me. This same Jesus offers life. Do you have it today? Do you want it today? With all that he offers, the reality is that he will not force himself on you at this point. You have to invite him in. And I invite you to invite him into your life. Let's pray. As we go into a time of invitation, we emphasize the life-giving invitation of Jesus Christ with his authority, with his power, and with his wisdom, he says, come to me. And so, Father, in this time, we ask that you would reach people for your kingdom's sake with the incredible love of Jesus Christ. It's in his name we pray. Amen. Let's stand and sing. Invitation time. You come.